the info track. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. It's a heartbreaking trend. Suicides among adolescents in the U.S. have risen substantially. Could better screening by mental health services lower the risk? InfoTrack's Roy Mackey has the story. Roy? Thank you, Chris. Our guest is Deepa Sakar, Associate Professor of Pediatrics at the Penn State University College of Medicine and Executive Director of Penn State Pro Wellness. Dr. Sakar, you led a study that examined the effectiveness of in-school suicide risk screening, but let's begin with a broader picture. How severe is the problem of teenage suicide, and is that problem growing? Suicide is the second leading cause of death among U.S. adolescents. And yes, the data does suggest that the rates are on the rise. How did the pandemic lockdowns and school closings and just general social isolation affect the trend? There was quite a bit being published on this at the height of the pandemic. The fact that adolescents were isolated from each other, were not given the opportunity to go to school, especially if maybe their home environments were not ideal. All of these factors led to increased rates of anxiety and depressive symptoms. The typical process today of screening for suicide may catch the red flags of students who have behavioral problems or are failing classes or maybe not showing up for classes. Tell us a bit about this universal depression screening approach that you examined. The suicide piece was actually a kind of offshoot analysis. So what we did was actually look at school-based depression screening. Back in like 2018, I was filling out school physical forms for students. I'm a general pediatrician, and we have to certify weight and height and body mass index and, you know, vision and hearing and nowhere on this form does it ask if students are in a good headspace to be successful in the school setting. So it got me thinking, we already position things like vision and hearing in the school setting because we know that so many of our students never make it into the primary care office. So could there be a place to effectively position depression screening in the school setting? And that's what kind of started this process in my head, we eventually secured funding. And what we did was we randomized students in high school to either get a depression screen. We used the very well-known standard depression screening tool used in a lot of primary care offices, including our own. And we compared that to the current process, which is behavior-based referral, which means basically you have to show people around you that something is not right. You have to be the straight a student that's suddenly failing out of class or a student who no longer is showing up for class or is having outbursts in order to prompt a referral. And so what we showed with the depression screening piece was that students were six times more likely to be identified with depressive symptoms using universal screening and twice as likely to initiate treatment. And then the suicide risk piece came in because on that particular screening tool, there is one question that asks about suicide risk. And it's important to clarify that the tool we used is not a suicide risk assessment tool, but it has this one question. And that was probably the hardest question for our school partners to deal with because while you can get an elevated depression score and maybe have a little bit of time to deal with that, a positive response to this question needed to be dealt with same day before the student went home. Somebody had to address it. And, you know, we wanted to understand how necessary or not it was to really have this question as part of the assessment. And that's what prompted this second piece looking at the suicide risk. 
And so what was that question? So the question was, if we sort of imagine that we're screening for suicide risk, you know, how likely are we to identify students overusing the usual process and will they initiate treatment? And the answer to that was yes. So they were seven times more likely to be identified at risk for suicide with the screening tool and four times as likely to initiate treatment. And we also looked at if the question were eliminated from the tool, what would that look like? Well, there were about 30% of students who had an overall low depressed depression screening score who still like ticked a positive response to that question. So you would miss students, you would miss about 30% who had suicidal thoughts who weren't necessarily scoring high on a depression screening tool altogether by eliminating that question. Our guest on InfoTrack is Dr. Deepa Sakar. She's a pediatrician and associate professor of pediatrics at the Penn State University College of Medicine. And we're talking about her study that examined the effectiveness of in-school suicide risk screening, which is far more effective than what is typically used today. So it sounds like there's quite an argument in favor of doing this, but what do you see as potential roadblocks, legitimate concerns perhaps, for adopting this at schools across the country? Of course. One of the big concerns is the capacity of already stressed school systems to manage the follow-up, and it is a realistic concern. It was a concern at our primary care office when we started depression screening. So the schools we partnered with, I can't tell you how many times I heard from the school staff, this is going to be a lot of work, but it's important for our students and we believe we need to do it. And we worked with the schools on the front end to do a lot of what's called resource mapping. So figuring out where they were currently referring students to, what additional options might be available in their areas and how we could plug them into those additional resources. The state of Pennsylvania has something called the Student Assistance Program. So we work through the Student Assistance Program at the schools to help manage the referrals as well. The schools themselves did all the follow-up. But in terms of sustaining the practice year after year, that was one of the big concerns that came up. How did parents react to this? We used an opt-out consent for the study, so every parent of a student who was at one of our participating high schools got a letter home informing them what we were going to be doing and had the opportunity to opt their student out. The overall opt-out rate for the study was low, it was 2%, though I will say that individual schools had higher opt-out rates. I think the key thing to bear in mind with this is nobody should be diagnosing your kid with depression or suicide risk based on a screening tool and a set of questions they fill out. All this is intended to do is to open the door and pick up symptoms. So I think the distinguishing piece between this is just screening for symptoms versus diagnosing anything is really important, especially when parents may be concerned or feel reluctant to allow their student to participate. Do you have any final words of advice for parents as to the warning signs that they should be watching for? Because I think perhaps a lot of parents will say, well, sometimes normal teenage behavior is difficult to distinguish from depression. Oh my goodness. Boy, this one is so tricky because you're right. It can be hard to distinguish. We did a lot of focus groups with teenagers and parents before we ever did the screening in the schools. Making sure teens have people in their lives that they could open up to 
if they were struggling is really important or one of the important pieces I pulled out. I don't even feel sometimes like it's fair to expect that a teenager who's coming in for a once a year primary care visit is going to spill everything in the space of, you know, 20 or 30 minutes. So what I end up asking them instead is like, who are your go-to adults? If you were in crisis or something really awful happened to you, who are the people that you have in your life? And I guess the red flag for me is when a kiddo says that they've gotten nobody to go to. That makes me really worried. If they can give me the names of a couple, even one adult that they could reach out to if they were struggling, I feel like there's an opportunity that there is somebody that if they got to that point, they might be able to connect with. That's one suggestion I had, at least based on my experience doing this research. Deepa Sakar, Associate Professor of Pediatrics at the Penn State University College of Medicine. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. You're listening to InfoTrack, a production of Syndication Networks of Chicago.